God, sometimes all we can do is simply in trembling pray for our neighbors who are hurting across to the other side of the world or country. And we pray that we would not lose sight of the whole world and country, that we would continue to lift up our friends, and that we would also not finish with just praying, but God, as the opportunity opens up and as we're willing, whether it be to go or to send support or to just call people we know, um, move us into action that we are not immobile, but we can be a church of people that are in action. And so as we come before you this morning, our big crisis this morning was that this electricity and the light didn't turn on. But I thank you for that awareness that, gosh, our problems are really not as big as we think they are at times. You are an overcoming God, and we are people who have overcome sin, not because of our clever ingenuity, but because of your grace, because of your son, Jesus. And so we go back to him again and again, and by him and through him, we live and we walk and we serve. So be glorified and keep us moving towards your heart, that we may have a heart for our neighbors in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through a series, which is our vision statement in the back of your bulletin. And here's a slide that's going to be up for the rest of the time. But would you read this with me? Leading people to love Jesus, love others, love themselves, and impact the world. And so that's our vision statement. This is what we hope. If you come here, the first thing we want to lead people to is we want you to know the crazy love of Jesus Christ, that he is not more than just a friend and more than a nice moral teacher, but he is son, the son of God who came to bring us back to God. He is our salvation. He is our hope. And last week we talked about loving others, that we don't end with this just, whew, I know God and I'm going to heaven, but we have been called to live for others. We've been called that Christians of all people should be the most on the front line. And actually, a recent article that I think one of our church members posted on Facebook, that Christian communities are out um, pacing FEMA with aid and support. Is that a coincidence? No, this is why God has brought us here. And even to the point of we sell everything, we give up everything, even to the point of sacrificing our comfort, we help and we go into crisis. We don't merely pray for it. And so loving our neighbors, loving our, loving our friends, loving even our enemies. So today, this is a tricky one. The third one is love themselves or love yourself. Leading people to love yourself. Now that needs a lot of explaining because it can be misunderstood and it needs also clarification because here's the thing. There is not one part of the Bible that says explicitly, I command you to love yourself. There's not one command in the Bible. So why is Pastor Jason preaching on something that's not in the Bible? Is this unbiblical? There is love God, there is love your neighbors, there's love your enemies. There's never a command that says, I command you, love yourself. Not one. And so, woo, where, where, where is this going? And so I do want to say this in the Bible, though. There is a consistent command to love God. Jesus says in Mark 12, 30, 31, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So second, command, second verse I want to share from Apostle Paul, Ephesians 5.33, it's up there, says, However, he's talking to husbands, each one of you also must love his wife as what? He loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So scripture never explicitly commands, look in the mirror and start loving yourself. It doesn't do that. But what God consistently shows us, though, is it is assumed that you are people who do love yourself. Now, so that's cool. Now, that works. You know, it doesn't command it, but we are assumed to love ourselves. But here, it becomes a second crisis. There is a difference between loving yourself and really loving yourself. What do I mean by that? What is a narcissist? Narcissists are people who are just consumed with an inordinate amount of self-love. I am really great. <laughs> you know, that's a narcissist. Narcissists are not those people who are saying like, you know, I need to love myself a little more. That's probably a tone of healthy love. But narcissists who love themselves way too much. So there is a thing as an unhealthy way of loving yourself. Let me give you some some thoughts here. Um, inflated self-love always will lead to selfishness. Now, don't raise your hand, but we all know and tasted when we were selfish and we, when we encountered people who are selfish, self-absorbed people, self-centered people, self-confident people. You kind of sense that we are a community in this world especially that people really love themselves, but it's not in the way that God intended um, I thought about the devil, so today I'm going to talk about the devil a little bit too. And in Isaiah 14, Isaiah is given a word from God to the king of Babylon, but many, many scholars say this is a double meaning. It refers to the, to the devil. So let me show you this. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You were this great angel. You were beautiful. You were my right-hand man. And then what happened? You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most High. but you are brought down to the realm of the dead to the depths of your pit you see what we believe about the devil and he's real is he was a beautiful angel and he saw God he served God and then he had this thought in him that said you know what I deserve more I'm pretty you know I think I'm actually even better than God we call this pride we call this an unhealthy version of self-love he didn't just like himself, but he loved himself to the point where he thought he was better than God. And how was the devil transformed into this ugly enemy, the antagonist of God? It was pride and self-love. 2 Timothy 3.3, 3, oh, look at this. Paul writes, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Can you read the next line? Bold. 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, one of the things that I see as Christians that should keep us humble is there is not one person in this room that's unscathed from that list. So if we ever think like we're better than people because we go to church and we're moral, I'm not like those terrorists, uh, how are you guys doing with that list? This is why the church should be the first to be humble, not to be proud, not to be in self-love, but here's the part. In the last days, people will be what? Lovers of themselves. I don't care what they say. This is what I want. I don't like that church. They don't do what I want. Well, I, I don't like my neighbor because they don't do it the way I want. And so it's, it's self-love, but it's an unhealthy version of self-love. So we see the extreme of self-love can lead to destruction, devastation. So, um, by the way, I want to interject here. I used to believe this when I was in seminary. I used to think like, you know where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself? Some people think, I can't love somebody until I learn how to love myself. But that's saying, I have a right to not love people until I get my act straight. No, <laughs> you could love others while you still have an issue with self-love. So that's not a right theology. Loving others, loving Jesus, sometimes opens up the door for you to really love yourself in the right way. So we can't have an unhealthy view of self-love. At the same time, now I'm going to flip to the other side. If you don't have any self-love, what does that look like? In other words, if you look in the mirror and you, every day and you can't stand yourself, is that what God desires of us? For example, maybe some of you have a bad past, made mistakes, or you're just not keeping up with the standards that you think you are, and you just rot and attack yourself. Everyone says, yo, Billy, you're a great guy. And you're like, thank you. And you go home like, I hate myself. Hey, George, love what you did. Thank you. And then you go home and you just have no peace. I think the third vision, part of our vision, leading people to love Jesus, love others, love themselves, it's not spoken enough in the right context. I know some of us in here, I know a lot of you in here. I know people in our neighborhood. And I'm struck in the 21st century, the rate of depression going up, the rate of suicide is going up, the rate of people around me who are really not happy. And by the way, this sermon is not about be happy. <laughs> but it's this idea, man, we do struggle with loving ourselves. Why? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it just we're not living up to a standard? And so we have this no joy, we have struggle with depression, and it could be complicated, sure, but could we acknowledge to have no self-love is also not what God intended? Could we agree to that? Say, could you say amen if that's something that you agree to? Okay, <laughs> thank you, two of you. So, you know, um, I just reading this article, but one of my favorite shows was Full House. Remember that in the 90s? Um, the kids, they had like five or six seasons. One of the characters, uh, I'm not going to mention her name. When the season ended, she was a teenager. 
So can you imagine half of your life, your identity was seeing on, being seen on TV. Everyone's like, yeah, we love you, we love you. And then she said, I'm a teenager. And she said, I have nowhere to go. And she hit immediate depression, drug use. By 20, she was married. By now, she was married three times. And so what is that about? Why are these celebrities who are so praised and everyone loves them and they still love them, why do they struggle with this? It's just they lost their identity. They lost who they are. They lost their worth. It was tied to people's praises and performance, and it shifted. So I just want to say, in this room, if your identity and worth is tied to things that are temporary, guess what's going to happen? It doesn't last. So where am I going with this? There's a tension here. Does God want me to love myself or not? And the answer is yes. The answer actually is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 4, we're going to talk about that. So let's go to 1 John 4. If you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to open to it and follow and take notes. And here's what we see in 1 John chapter 4. First, you see a healthy sense of self-love is found when we realign our values with God's world. Let me say that one more time. Healthy sense of self-love, the biblical self-love, the godly self-love is found when we realign your values to a realm with God. So let me say a little bit more. If your value is worth tied to materialism, some of you, I got my BMW, God is good, I got my, got another raise, I bought a million dollar house in Orange County, God is good, I am happy, I, I mean life is good. I feel good. You know, Pastor Jason, I feel good. Like, thank you. Great. Praise God. But if your worth and identity and love for yourself is tied to your accomplishment materialism, what happens when stock markets crash and you lose it all? Your value, your esteem is tied to that, and it goes down with it. Some of you are like, man, my values are tied to my appearance. When people say, Jason, you're so handsome. Never heard that in my life. You're so good looking. You are are attractive. You grow up and your values and your worth is tied to what? People saying, you're beautiful. So if my self-love is tied to that value, guess what happens when I get older? Or I start getting wrinklier. Or I start gaining weight. Or I start losing hair. Or... What happens? My self-love is tied to what value? People's praises of me. Simple. We all know that. This is how our world operates. By the way, this is how marketing operates to get you to hook you into buying their product. They tap into your core values. So healthy sense of self-love is first tied in bringing yourself and realigning yourself to the realm of God. A few verses Actually, before I go to verses, Elizabeth Elliot, one of my heroes. Who knows Elizabeth Elliot? She's married to a guy named Jim Elliot. If you might have heard the movie The End of the Spear, he was young, 20s, early 30s at most. Uh, he went to the jungles of Ecuador, and he came out of a plane to evangelize, and they speared him. All the missionaries' wives grieved and went back to that village. And they converted the whole village as they share the gospel of Jesus. 
and the guy who was a chief who killed these guys became a, like the key pastor and Christian. It's a remarkable story. Elizabeth Elliot, she's a godly woman. And so she wrote a book called Let Me Be a Woman, which I did not read. I, this, is a, this is something that I just found. And she talks about a lady named Gladys. And Gladys was told when she was a child, she had two great sorrows. Gladys said, why am I so short? I stopped growing at four foot, 10 inches tall. And she had black hair. All her friends were beautiful, had blonde hair. And she said, her value was tied to that. Everyone has blonde hair if you're beautiful and you're tall. Anyway, she became a Christian, and later on as she grew up, she was called to be a missionary, and she stood and went to Shanghai, and she got off the boat to be a missionary, and guess what she saw? Everybody, every single one of them had black hair, and every one of them had stopped growing when I did. She was able to look to God and exclaim, Lord God, you know what you're doing. What happened? Her value of her self-view shifted from what everyone around her said to, this is how God made me. God, my value is tied with your purposes, your plan, and I'm at peace. And she realizes the brilliance of God in that. And so, I mean, that's me. I used to be a class clown. Now God uses that class clownness to share the gospel. So anyway, you don't know how God's going to use you. You don't know how God is planning you, but your values have to shift from worldly values to the realm of where God is calling us. Dear friends, verse 7, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, born again, found in Christ, made alive, not just religious, but they were found in Christ and they know God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Where does love come from? A healthy love of self? It shifts to entirely an identity found in God. That's what John is writing. This is Christianity. And this is why Apostle Paul says, I was a teacher, teachers, I was a great prophet, I, was, I had the best education. All of this is what? Garbage compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Identity, healthy identity of yourself. My question to you is, if you struggle with self-love or the wrong love, is it in the realm of what God is saying you are? Or is your happiness and love and worth tied to what you've created to be? My family's my happiness. That's great. But is that the identity where you get worth? Because families break apart. Because families do get broken. And God is saying, I want you to love your families, but I want you to find your worth and love and identity in me. And for that, the church needs to say amen. Amen? amen. And we are jumping up and down in our emotions because our values are not aligned with God. So chapter 1, verse 1 John 4, 12, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's a Greek fancy word to saying the fullness of God's work in you to perfect and to accomplish the goal of love is made when God fully dwells in you and you in him. That's Christian life. Christian life is not my membership is at this church. I go twice a year, so I'm a Christian. Christian life is God is soaked in me and I in him, and there is not even telling the two. So when the world falls apart, when my family can struggle, I can still say, 
God, even now I am loved by you and you are all I need. And I can move on. This is why missionaries succeeded in the face of execution, persecution, and so two. So identity has to be shifted. Your values have to realign to God. Second, source of true love is deep within your hearts. And if you if you nod it, you're not paying attention. <laughs> source of true love. This is what we hear. It's in you. Love is found in your heart. Just let it out. And I've been thirsty, folks. When you're thirsty, man, you need any good, clean water. And if you tell me, source of water is found in your heart, don't be thirsty. I'll, I'll smack you. <laughs> what you need to tell me is, you're thirsty? There is a pool of natural spring water flowing from the cascades of the glaciers of the mountaintops, and there's a pipe that comes out. That's the source of your quenching thirst. Love, if the first John chapter 4 is right, it's not found within us. It's given to us. Verse 9, first John chapter 4, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent Oh, let me just pause here. Ready? This is how God shows his love among us. You want to know love? Let me show you love. God is saying, you want to see what love looks like? It's not this mushy feeling and it's not this like, oh, I love my wife, girlfriend, family, boyfriend, house. You want to know what love is? This is what the definition of love is. This is how God shows his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, if you're cynical, you're like, that's love? Love is sending your son to die? <laughs> but if you're the recipient of this view, you start understanding what that means. That sounds gross. That sounds weird. That sounds like a horror story. You want to show me love by letting your son get killed? Well, he goes on, verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us our sins. Love didn't come from your heart to say, God, if you're there, I really want to love you. It's actually that God has to pour his love in us. What is an atoning sacrifice? We did this, by the way, we have Bible study every Wednesday, and we study the text that I'll be preaching on Sunday. And so you get a kind of preview, and we talked about this. What is an atoning sacrifice? It's basically a price that must be paid for sin. A fancy word is propitiation. So if we sinned against God, God doesn't just go, I'll forget about it. He says, I will forgive you, but somebody has to pay for this sin. And then you look at God and say, but I don't have a life to pay for it. I would get destroyed. And God says, I know. So instead of letting us go on the altar of death and paying the price for our sins, who took your place? Jesus says, God says, let me give you my one and only son so you don't have to go on the altar. He will go and pay in your place. When I go back to that, it's not just an Easter message. This is our Sunday message for the church. How do you know you're loved? 
Because God gave up his one and only son for you and me. He paid a price we could not pay. And John is saying, this is love. It's not a feeling. It's the ultimate sacrifice. And the payment that we could not pay was paid. So practically, this is what it looks like. You don't just simply love yourself and love God. Some of you came in here with this, maybe if I'm wrong, forgive me. If there's one person that I'm speaking to, open your ears. Some of you could, let me give God some love today. Let me go to church and give him some worship. Let me get my worship on because God's like, oh, please worship me. So let me say, God, I'm willing to give you worship today. Hands up in the air, offering. Look, I'm giving you love. What if, what if the source of love isn't like that? What if it's this? What if we came in, and here's how practical it is. What if instead of you offering love to God, you come in and say, God, I open up my heart to you. All your love that you have for me, I humbly receive it again and again and again. I don't worship out of my love. I worship as a response to your great love that you have shown me. And there's this humble posture. There's this humility and that love of joy of realizing God loves you. But Pastor Jesse said, we look really weird. And people may say, you're weird. But God says, I created you and I died for you. You're my beloved. That is how we respond to worship. The greatest worships I've had, genuinely, were not with the great praise team, choir, or message. When I look at back at my life, the greatest message I had was, the greatest worships that I've had was when I remembered just how much God loved me, and all I could do was just stand and cry and weep and say, I love you because of your love for me. That is all we can do. That is worship. That is a response of worship. That all I can do is how and why would you do this for me? Who am I that you would die for a sinner like me? Who am I that a wretched man like me, you would forgive over and over and let your son die? And so I just simply, humbly receive that love. I don't give you my love. I receive that love and let it overflow in worship. And so this is how we do it. But can I just give you one more practical thing, even in this moment right now? All we need to simply say is, just repeat after me after I say it. Ready? This is hard. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for me. Ready? Before you say it, just just think about, thank you, Jesus, for your love for me. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for me. And in that gospel good news, we find I can love myself because God loves me. I can see a healthy love because my identity is framed in who God is. Let me end with this story. You don't know this, but you should. You were meant to be lovers of God. You were designed, me and you were designed to be worshipers. And when you're not who you are, you know that Snickers commercial? You're not yourself when you're hungry? Have a Snickers bar? 
That's theologically true. You're not yourself. So let me share a true story. It's a legendary true story. Rosa Parks, what was she known for? But she went on the bus, and what happened? She worked all day, all week, late at night. She goes on the bus, and what? Go in the back. And she said, I'm tired. She said those two words, I was tired, I'm tired. And she sat down in the front of the bus where it says whites only. And you know what happened. And this is what she said. Let me just use, make sure I use her words. She said, I wasn't trying to start a movement. She said, that was not her intention. I sat down because I was tired. But she did not mean that her feet were tired. She meant that her soul was tired. Her heart was tired. Her whole being was tired of playing by racist rules, of denying her soul's claim to selfhood. And she writes this. She says, I will no longer act on the outside in a way that contradicts the truth that I hold deeply on the inside. I will no longer act as if I were less than the whole person I know myself inward to be. And she sat down. What she's saying is, this is not the way God intended. And I'm tired because we live in a world where I'm not living out the truth of who I am. I'm meant to love myself. And she said they could, and when they said the police came after you, this is her response. They could do nothing to me that I haven't already done to myself by not living in the truth of who I am. So I was tired. Now, I want to say to the church before we close, some of you are tired, and it's not your neighbors. It's not the politics. It's a war within you that you are not living true to who you are because we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We have a hard time giving ourselves grace. We have a hard time recognizing God loves me, and this is love. He gave his only son. And I want to rebuke you and say, if God says you're worthy of my grace and love, who do you think you are to say, no, I don't deserve it? And so we humbly say, God, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And in that identity, I'm tired. I want to come out and live who I was meant to be, a child of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, may we be a church that leads people to love you, Jesus, because the third part of that phrase is really the first part. We find love for ourselves when we find your love for us. We find love for our neighbors in the love you have for us. And we can live loving ourselves, not because of our accomplishments or failures, but because of our worth tied to the fact that you are our creator and you are have been our savior. God, in this room, may we be able to rest in this love. May we be freed and in this Jesus' name, for those of us who wrestle with this self-worth and love right now, God, may they find and be soaked with the outpouring of your love through Jesus upon them and be glorified as we respond with love to you. These things we pray in the name of our wonderful savior who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Just stand together for our final song.